For today's lesson, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. We'll begin James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. It's great to see you this morning. I want to spend just a moment and uh, just a second to pray with you about three specific things. We've got uh, a lot going on here at Katy. Uh, this particular week begins our fall, or well, our late summer, I say fall because I'm already there in my mind, late summer WEI campaign, World English Institute. And uh, Justin, who just read our scripture and a number of others have really been working hard to make this a success. It's an outreach to our community, uh, striving to build relationships and bring others to Christ. And we're thankful and we're going to pray for them. Also need to pray about our evangelism in sync. Uh, this is the month when we are intentionally striving for the sake of the gospel to be kind to our neighbors. Um, some kindness cards, I believe, are still available out in the foyer. I've heard a lot of really neat things that you have done over the past couple of weeks with the kindness cards, a lot of neat ideas. Um, talk amongst yourselves about those things. Share your stories because those are encouraging to people. And not only that, but it's, it's letting, letting the light of Christ shine in the lives of others, Matthew 5, 16. And then the third thing to pray about is it's back to school time. And wow, it's hard to believe that we've already gotten to this point of the year. At least it's hard for me to believe. But a lot of our college young people have already left or will be leaving in the next few days to go to college. And uh, our young, younger kids are going to be heading back to school. So let's pray for those three needs specifically this morning. Would you bow with me? Our righteous and almighty God, we're so thankful for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to worship you this morning. We're thankful for those who have assembled with us and we pray that our hearts and our minds will be focused on you. We pray, Father, that you'll be exalted and magnified by our words and our thoughts and by the obedience in our lives. Father, we pray about the things that we've just mentioned. We pray, Father, for the WEI campaign that begins this week. We pray that you be with the teachers, with the students. We pray, Father, that you be with those that have kids and that are taking care of babysitting responsibilities. We're so thankful, Father, for everyone who has a part in this work. We pray, Father, that all will be to your glory and, and be successful in your eyes. We pray, Father, that you be with our Evangelism and Sync program here at Katy. We pray that we might be a light to those around us, that we intentionally might show the spirit and the example of Christ in the way that we treat others, not just this month, but every time that we come into contact with those around us that we know need you and need your gospel. Father, we pray that you'll bring fruit through this. We pray that more and more souls will come to see their need for you through our efforts. Father, thank you so much for our young, young people, our, our college age and our, our younger kids as they return to school. Father, we're mindful of them. 
We're mindful of a new chapter in their lives, a new place in their lives where they can grow and can continue to mature. And we pray that you'll bless them and bless their parents and the influences around them that they might be good and godly guides to them. But we pray, Father, also that our young people might be a light to those around them to show something of what it means to serve you. And we pray, Father, that they might grow in every good way, that you might protect them from the evil one as they go out into the world. Thank you so much, Father, for Jesus who gives us assurance and hope. And we pray that you'll help us always to put our lives and in our hearts and our, our, our whole being into his hands. Thank you so much, Father, for the blood that was shed for us. It's in his name we pray, amen. The question that James asks is, what is your life? And that's a really good question to stop and just think about. What is your life? I've already mentioned this morning that it's difficult for me to realize that we're already halfway through August. Seems like just yesterday, it was New Year's. And as you get older, those of us who are starting to get older and those of us who are, we, um, we realize that the years seem to go faster and faster and faster as, the, as, as, you, as you have more of them. But the question is important because the question is asked in the Bible, what is your life? And I want you to think about that question this morning. Listen to what James says. This was just read for us in our scripture reading, but listen very carefully. Come now, you who say, he's talking about people making plans, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and we will spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What's wrong with these people is not that they are planning for the future and the problem is not that they're trying to be industrious and that they're trying to conduct trade and business. They're not materialistic necessarily. That's not what James is condemning. The problem is that they are making plans with their lives and they're not thinking about God at all. And they're not thinking about the fact that God may have other plans for them. And he goes on to say then, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And there's the question, for what is your life? What is your life? Here's how James answers the question. Your life is a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. If you are wise, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. When you make plans, when I make plans for our future, we ought to always keep in mind our plans are always subject to change by God's will. That's not a bad thing to write on your Google Calendar or on your day planner if you still keep one of those or on your list of things to do this week. Subject to change by the will of God. If the Lord wills, we shall live or do this or that. What is your life after all? I believe the question is good for us to examine because you and I might have some ideas about what our life is all about. We might have some ideas about what's going to happen in our lives in the future, but it's good to hear God's assessment. It's good to hear from God and his word about what he says concerning our lives. And let me just ask you this corollary. It's a really serious question. Think about this. How long do you think you have left? How long do you really think that you have left to live in this world? I suspect that most of us would probably say, well, you know, I kind of anticipate being around for at least a few more years. I suspect most of us think that way. I hope we do. But what is your life after all? Listen to what God says. The following answers are given in scripture. Number one, God says that your life and my life 
are brief. They're short. The duration is not much at all, especially in the grand scheme of things. Remember what we just read in James 4.14, your life is like a mist, a vapor, Early in the morning on fall days around here, we have fog. And as soon as the sun comes up, the fog is gone. It doesn't last very long. That's what your life is like, James says. It's short, it's brief. Job 7 verse 6, that's a misprint on the screen, says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Someone who's weaving and their shuttle goes back and forth quickly, quickly. Job says, my days are passing like that. And listen to what he goes on to say in Job 9. I'm just going to read to you. Job 9 verse 25. Now my days are swifter than a runner, Job says. They flee away. They see no good. They pass like swift ships, he says, like an eagle swooping on its prey. Job 9 verse 26. That's what my days are like. That's what it seems like in my life. And God is saying, brothers and sisters and friends, we would be wise to stop and realize the brevity of life. We're just here for a short time. What are you doing with the time that God's given you? Our lives are brief. Moses lived to be 120 years old himself. And Moses wrote a psalm called Psalm 90. And here's what he says in Psalm 90 verse 10. Our days, he says, are soon gone and we fly away. Even a man who lived to be 120 years old said, life is brief. Our days are soon gone. You know what he went on to say in Psalm 90 verse 12? Lord, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Brothers and sisters and friends, think about the fact that life in the grand scheme of things is brief. It's short. And God's word would have us to remember how short our time is. Psalm 89 verse 47. As you think about God's word and what it says about our lives, not only is life brief, but secondly, life is a gift. It's a gift from God himself. And this is important It is something that has been presented to us as you might present a gift to a child on their birthday. Life is a gift that God gives to us. Listen to what the Bible says. Acts 17, 25, when Paul was preaching to pagan, idolatrous people, he said, God, the God of heaven, is the one who gives to all life, breath, and all things. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being, he goes on to say. God is the one who gives these things to us. They are gifts, life and breath and all things. But not only that, in 1 Timothy 6.13, Paul writes about God who has given life to all things. Life is a gift. It's a gift from God himself. Back in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 verse 26, when God was purposing to create man, he said, let us make man in our image. As God thought about the creation of you and me, as he thought about the gift of of life for mankind, he said, man is going to be in our image. And because life is a gift, there are some really important implications. If you've got your Bible, I want you to see this. Open to Genesis chapter 9 and look at verse 6. 
Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, life is a gift that God has given. And especially, especially when we talk about human life, there are some strong implications here. What is your life? It's a gift from God. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, human life especially is sacred. This is right after Noah and the ark and the flood. When the ark finally comes back to rest on earth after the flood waters recede, God speaks to Noah and his descendants. And he says in Genesis 9 verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For, here's the reason, in the image of God he made man. As for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. God is saying that human life is separate and above even animal life. Human life is sacred. This is a teaching that is consistent throughout Scripture. What is your life? It's a gift from God. And because you and I were made in the image of God, human life is on a different level than the lives of animals. As much as we might care for and want to protect some animals, as much as we might value them, animal life is different from human life. And that has strong implications for things like what we ought to believe and how we ought to feel about abortion, which is a huge topic in our country, obviously, right now. God says from start to finish, man is made in my image, human life is sacred. And as people who belong to God, we must believe this with every fiber of our being. There is something different about humanity, about human life. Life begins at conception. It is human life and it is sacred. It's different. Again, when we think about end-of-life decisions and things that happen at the end of one's life, human life is sacred, it's valuable, and there are ethical implications for what happens at the end of life and how we treat those that are terminally ill. It's sacred, it's different. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed because he's made in God's image. Life is a gift. But implication number two is that your life, because it's a gift from God, has a definite purpose. He made you in his image. And I've got three passages on the screen there. You know what they say? Isaiah 43 verse 7 says, God has created us for his glory. Actually, he says it in first person. He says, I have created you for my glory. You know why you're here? You know why I'm here? Why has God given us life? Because God wants us to use our brief lives to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And again, in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, the scripture says, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this, fearing God and keeping his commandments, this is man's all. This is all we're about. This is what we're to do with our lives. There is a purpose for you being here. And the purpose is that you glorify and honor the God of heaven, that you have a relationship with him. And God has even provided his son Jesus as a sacrifice so that sinful people can have a relationship with him and glorify him. That's what life is. It's a gift from God. And there is a definite purpose to our lives as a result. But third this morning, as we ask the question, what is your life? It is a one-time experience. I always laughed when I was younger. There was a a preacher that I was very, very familiar with, very fond of. He had kind of a country accent, but I remember him saying one time, your life isn't like Super Mario Brothers. 
You kids, you think that life's like a video game. You know, your little guy dies and then you get another life. Then your dog dies and you get another life. And life's not like that. You get one shot. I remember him, every time I think about this thought, life's a one-time experience. I remember that brother saying those things. And it makes an impact, right? Because we play video games and we do lose lives or we do get extra lives, extra chances. And even religiously, you think about what people believe about reincarnation and things like that. Maybe I'll come back in another life and I'll get another shot, another chance to live. That is not what the Bible teaches. It's just not. The Bible says this life is a one-time experience. In 2 Samuel 14, verse 14, there's an unnamed woman from a place called Tekoa. And here's what she says. It's very poetic. She says, we must all die. We are like, think about the image, water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Can't pick it up again. You spill the milk, it's there, it's gone. You're not gonna be able to gather it back into the glass. That's what your life is like, she says. It's like water spilled on the ground which cannot be gathered. It is appointed to man, Hebrews 9, 27 teaches, once to die and after this comes judgment. We are living our one life right now. You are living your one life. And no matter what you've done with your life to this point, the challenge before you is to ask the question, am I in a right relationship with God? Am I in a relationship with him of any kind? Is there in my life something that shows that I have a purpose and that I've acknowledged the purpose for which God has put me here? It's appointed to man once to die. And after this, all we look forward to is judgment for good or ill. Luke 16, 26, Jesus tells a story of the rich man and Lazarus. And both of the men die and both of them go to a separate place. One's in a place of paradise and one's in a place of torment. The rich man who's in torment tries to have Lazarus come and just bring one drop of water to cool his tongue because he says, I'm in torment in these flames. And in Luke 16, 26, Abraham, who's speaking to this rich man in torment from paradise, Abraham says, there is a great chasm, there's a great gulf fixed between us and you cannot come across. The point being that when we die, brothers and sisters and friends, our fate is sealed. When we die, when we take our last breath, when our heart ceases to beat, our fate is sealed. There is no further opportunity to change. This life is a one-time experience and wise indeed are those who'd make the most of this opportunity. We need to think about what our lives really are. Next, what is your life? The Bible teaches life is uncertain. I asked the question a few moments ago, how long do you think you have? You know, all of us would like to answer that question because I mean, I hope we love life. I hope we enjoy living. But most of us would answer that question. Well, I think I've got some time left. Maybe you think you've got a lot of time left, especially for young, you know, when you're young, you're bulletproof and nothing could phase you, nothing could change. But the Bible says repeatedly, life is uncertain. Genesis 27, verse two, the elderly Isaac said this, I do not know the day of my death. He knew he was about to die, but he didn't know how soon. There's some wisdom. It's not morbid to stop and to think sometimes. I don't know when I'm gonna die. Every year since I've been born, we've celebrated my birthday, the day of my birth. But every once in a while, it's good to stop and think, every year since I've been born, I have passed on the calendar the day of my death. 
and so have you. We don't know when that day is, but we're passing that day annually as well. I don't know the day of my death. It's uncertain. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 66, when God was pronouncing curses on people who would not obey, when they would not listen to his word and when they would not embrace the principles found in the Old Testament, God said, I'm going to make you live in fear as a result. That's my punishment upon you. And your life shall hang in doubt before you, he says. You're going to go to bed at night and wonder if you'll live to see the morning. You're going to wake up in the morning and wonder if you're going to survive the day. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. It was a curse that God had pronounced on people that would not listen to his word and abide in his principles and precepts. But the point for our purposes is our lives are uncertain. You just don't know. Again, that passage we read at the very beginning in James 4 verse 15, if you were wise, you would say this, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. You know, it took me years of thinking about that passage before I finally realized that it says, you know, sometimes reading what's on the page is not always what we are good at. If the Lord wills, we shall live. Stop right there. Just, just put a period right there. If the Lord wills, we shall live. We're making plans for the future and all kinds of designs and things that we want to accomplish. And if the Lord wills, we might live till tomorrow. And if the Lord wills, then we also live and then do this or that. There are two things in mind. Life is uncertain. I believe all of us could probably share experiences and illustrations of people who, what we would say, suffered an untimely demise, an untimely death. We just don't know. None of us does. And because that's true, we need to turn our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the God of heaven and submit to his will. Life is uncertain. What is life? Life is a time for preparation, brothers and sisters and friends. It is your one opportunity to serve and to please the God of heaven. Life is a time for preparation. Amos 4.12, this was not a good thing. God said, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. They were wicked and idolatrous and God was saying, get ready because I'm going to meet you in judgment. Are you prepared to meet God this morning? I mean, really, are you ready to face him in judgment? It's a question the Bible challenges us with. Prepare to meet your God. Jesus said it this way, get ready. The parable of the, uh, of the uh, virgins that were waiting for the bridegroom to come and some had their lamps and they were burning their oil foolishly. They were not getting ready. And when the bridegroom came, they had no oil for their lamps. They had no way to light the, 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 uh, the lamps. They were out and nobody would give them anything. They were unprepared when the bridegroom came. And Jesus' point is, get ready. I'm gonna return one day, get ready. Be ready for the son of man to come. He's gonna come and settle accounts. Are you ready for that day? This is a time of preparation. It's a time, the Bible says, to seek the Lord. Isaiah 55 verse six challenges you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. He can be found by you right now today. He can be found in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you otherwise would worry about will be added to you. Matthew 6, this right now is a time for you and me to seek the Lord. Because our lives are brief and because they are uncertain, we might foolishly squander these opportunities, but this is the time God has given you, a time of preparation. 
Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted. Let your sins be blotted out that seasons of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is the time, God says, to repent, to change, to be converted, to be a child of God. That's what this, this time, this life is all about. Repent and be converted. This is a time that God has given us to respond to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is one of those big picture questions. When we ask, what is your life? When the Bible asks, what is your life? It's saying, stop where you are, think about the question because there may be some decisions and changes that need to be made in your life in order to bring it into harmony with what God would have our lives to be all about. Responding to the gospel. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be a child of God, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 and 2. God says, life is brief. Life is uncertain. Life is an opportunity to respond to me. Are you ready this morning? Are you ready to meet your maker? Are you ready if your life were over? If judgment day was here, are you ready to stand before him in judgment? Those questions loom over every single one of us. And if you're not ready, we love more than anything here at Katy, we'd love to be able to sit down with you, I'm serious, and open the Bible and show you what God says. Not our words, his words. What God says about how to become ready, how to get ready to meet him in judgment. If you'd like to do that, we'd love the opportunity to do so. Come find me after the sermon this morning. Maybe you are ready to make the decision. You want to become a Christian. Believe in Christ. Repent of your sin. Confess the name of Jesus. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. When we're baptized, we are born into a new family, the family of God. And when we're baptized, we become Christians, ready to meet our God in judgment. If you need to respond this morning and you want to make things right with God, or maybe you want to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is yours while together we stand and while we sing.